Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Believe in Temple Football Podcast. I'm John DiCarlo, the editor of housegroup.com, joined by Adam DeMichael, Temple's former outstanding quarterback and assistant coach. Uh, just a reminder before we get started here that the Believe in Temple Football Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. You can find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. You can use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's capital B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline where the game starts. Adam is back. We a week off. Adam was in Vegas for his friend's bachelor party. I understand you're feeling under the weather. Like everybody... <laughs> it's, only beca- it's, it's, it's not because of the bachelor party. It's because I think, you know, it was 112 degrees when we got off the plane. And then, uh, you know, just the traveling and stuff. I just got back um, a couple of days back. Got a little head cold, but, you know, like this morning it was 58 degrees when I was walking my dog before work. So, Trying to get used to it, but uh, I'm extremely glad to be back. And um, you know, I uh had a chance to 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 see the Temple game, you know, while in Vegas, and you know, we were there for the opening of the NFL season, and mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. You know what I mean? There's jerseys everywhere. You know what I mean? People are just rooting for their hometown team. So I'm glad to be back. Uh, happy that you know Temple got a victory, and now you know we're 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 on to Rutgers. I've never actually been to Vegas before. How long were we there? Like three or four days. Yeah, you can't go no more than three days. We were everybody there everybody day. says that. Are you just worn out by betting think, late night? Especially if everything when you're younger, it probably you know you stay up a little later. But uh just the weather, you know, we had a little pool party and you know, just you know, I mean just not just nonstop. You know, you, you try to take a nap and do normal things, you know, catch up with your family back home and FaceTime and but um it's uh like I said, two two days max. That's all you really need to. You know, I've I've made a couple of bets, won a couple of games. I'm not a I'm not a better by any stretch, but um, that's always cool. You go there, you have to do something like that. And, and I'm not really a big gambler, but I was um mm-hmm. I'm a red on the roulette roulette table, and then I just watch my buddies gamble and lose their money. <laughs> way easier that way. Yeah, it is. It's way easier. Um, well, yeah, we got some stuff to get into this week. Uh, we'll uh, dissect Temple's thirty to fourteen win over Lafayette. And of course the, the big story, not the only story there is that EJ Warner stepped in, took over for a struggling Dewan Mathis. We'll, we'll talk about what went wrong with Dewan Mathis, what did go well with EJ Warner very early on in his career. We'll preview Temple's homecoming game coming up this weekend, give you a little bit of a closer look at Rutgers. Adam's going to give us a little bit of insight into one of uh, uh, Temple's verbal commitments, Colin Green from, from Penn Trafford, who, is coming in as a defensive lineman, but he also plays quarterback for them. And uh, we got a few mailbag questions to get to uh, as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, overstating the obvious here, but, you know, Stan Drayton knocks his, his first win out of the way here, 30 to 14 over Lafayette. Yes, they're an FCS program. Yes, they are rebuilding 
just like like Temple has, I believe, with the exception of like a, a COVID shortened 2020 season. Uh, Lafayette, I think, hasn't had a winning record since 2009. So um, they're trying to get things going um, just as much as Temple is. But uh, again, there were other factors involved in the game. We'll, we'll touch on some of those. But uh, the big thing here is is analyzing the, the quarterback position. So EJ Warner takes over for for Dewan Mathis. Um, now, Stan Drayton didn't definitively say Monday at his press conference that, that EJ is going to start against Rutgers, but he's listed atop the depth chart. Stan did say uh, he's going to be taking first team reps at quarterback. So, again, in, just in case you you missed the game, and full disclosure, I had to rewatch it. My, my wife and I went down to Kings Mountain, North Carolina to adopt a, mm. a, a new puppy over the weekend, new little nice. uh, Shih Tzu puppy named Bear, who's uh, who's awesome. It's like 10 weeks wow. old. So. That's it was a half yeah. hour west of uh, half hour west of Charlotte. Ed Foley said, well, "Why don't you stop by this weekend and watch us practice?" I said, "I can't. I'm gonna have a little dog t- oh, and toe." So it was a long, long drive. But I, I went back and and rewatched the game, uh, which was fun to you know just kind of rewind stuff. Closest experience I get to watching film that's not all 22 or anything like that. But so those of you who did watch the game, you know this. But for those of you who missed out on it, Dewan went three of eight for 42 yards before being benched in favor of EJ Warner. And um, it was kind of a, a little bit of a microcosm of what his career has been some flashes, but then some, some inconsistency. So his first completion was that 20, 28 yard throw to Jose Barbone that set up Darvon Hubbard's touchdown. And it looked like it couldn't have been thrown any better. Uh, looked like his feet were set, you know, the he had him in stride. Then on the first play of Temple's next series, he got hit by Adam Port and, Easy for me to say. I've never played quarterback. I've never been hit before, but it didn't look like he had hit that hard. And then he, he fumbles, turns the ball over. That that had set up Lafayette's first touchdown. And then that second drive, he he missed a wide open Ian Stewart on a skinny post. Um, then that drive ended on fourth down when he he forced a throw to Ian Stewart that was short of the sticks. Um, rewatching the game, Barrett Brooks, the former uh, Eagles offensive lineman, Steelers offensive lineman. Uh, was the the color and commentator on the game? He kept saying that that Dewan had Adonica Sanders wide open on the left side on a wheel route. Uh, can't say I was there in the press box watching it with my own eyes, but right. um, that was something that Barrett saw. And then uh, there was a second fumble on the next drive. He just, you know, just fell off really quickly after that. After his first strong throw of the game, um, he even had an awkward slide on that next series. Adam, you and I have kind of talked about this, and I'm sure you'll you'll add more. Dewan doesn't seem to be a very definitive or comfortable runner, but, um, and before we get to EJ Warner, I want to get your impressions on what, what went wrong there. And, and I'll stress, obviously it's a long season, you know, yeah, EJ Warner yeah. could, could go out against Rutgers and really struggle. It's not like it's going to be his job. We don't definitively know it's going to be his job the rest of the way. There was a lot to like on what he did or from what he did on Saturday. So it's you know better than anybody else as well as anybody else it is a week-to-week existence in, in college football and the game of football but I'm just wondering what your impressions are after after watching this of like what how you know Dewan looks really good on that first throw looks really comfortable and then boom it just it just kind of fell off for him and he just did not look comfortable out there and what what you saw of his of his abbreviated performance before they turned things over to EJ Warner yeah and, and you hear coach Drayton talk about all the time John um you know everybody's battling for their, their position every week. And I'm sure he's going to keep saying that, you know, no matter what the situation is, if, if we go out and, you know, beat Rutgers, is he going to say, okay, EJ Warner, you're the starter for the rest of the year? No, that's not how you kind of do things, especially as a new coach with 
a young quarterback and, you know, two, I guess you could say, veterans behind him. But as you look at DeWan, I think that, you know, we if you as you watch the game, it's like, okay, we're struggling offensively, right? We need a spark. You know, the, the, the guy lost two fumbles, and if you're not protecting the football, that seems to be a big thing for Coach Drayton. And, you know, that if you really look at things and, you know, you do your statistics, the plus-minus and the turnover battle was a huge deal for wins and losses. I remember when I was coaching with Matt, that was a project of mine where it was like, okay, do the top 20 teams in the country, they're plus-minus in the – I think it's like Brian Billicks has some kind of weird formula to talk about winning and losing. So I had to do a project, but they're not protecting the football – and you're struggling uh, to move the football and things are kind of stale. It's like, okay, how much longer can we wait to see if he kind of does turn the corner or, you know, is it time to, you know, make that switch and try to spark and ignite the offense and the team now? So I've been on, on both sides of that when I was, you know, my first year, whenever Vaughn and I were playing, it's like, you know, we were such a bad program at the time. It's like he played then I played and, you know, who was the hot hand. If EJ went out there and he struggled in the second quarter, were they going to go to Quincy? Were they going to put the one back in? Um, so it's just one of them things where, like you mentioned earlier, I don't I don't think he looked very comfortable. Um, you know, everyone I can't say everyone can make that long distance throw. You know, the go ball versus press man on third down, but you know, he makes that look pretty easy. And a few things don't go his way. It's like, hey, it's time to make a change, and that's that's why uh, you know you brought Stan in to to make those decisions. And right now he's one for one on, you know, getting the offense and, and, and the team, you know, that that spark that they needed to kind of turn the corner in that game. And I mean, just from my experience in covering it, you know, I've covered a few different coaches and coaching regimes. And especially when when somebody's rebuilding, again, you've been on the other side of it. You've talked to the media. And I'm sure that when you're talking to reporters, you're probably thinking, okay, there are things I'm going to reveal, things I'm not going to reveal because I have to keep a locker room in check here. And I don't want to hang guys out to dry yep. for Stan as the head coach. I mean, he has been complimentary of EJ and he's been saying like, Hey, he can, he can spin it. You know, he's decisive. Um, did I think he might play at some point this year? Sure. Because, you know, you can dabble with the guy, you can, you can put him out there and still redshirt him, still preserve his redshirt season and get kind of a small sample size. But um, yeah, I, you know, if they had their druthers, yeah, Dewan has a good season. Quincy comes in on some running packages or can throw it a little bit too. And then you, you give EJ time to rest, but, uh, like you and I were talking about offline before we recorded, I guess they must've continued to see some things in practice where EJ looked really good. And right. we can only assume that, that Quincy Patterson had not done enough in practice to get in there. And, um, and EJ Warner steps in. In the second quarter, he ends up finishing 14 of 19 passing for 173 yards and two touchdowns. His first touchdown pass was on a fade route to Ian Stewart, and he's a, the, the Michigan State transfer who's really uh, starting to carve out a role again very, very early mm -hmm. on in the season. But it, it's a, a new staff, a new operation. They liked his size. You know, he hadn't put up big numbers at Michigan State, but, you know, he's got good size there. And, uh, you know, he got good protection on the throw, Uh Everything seemed to go right there to the naked eye, but just on that specific touchdown pass there, and again, this doesn't encapsulate all of his performance. What did right. you see on that first touchdown pass there? It looked pretty simple, but we know that nothing is yeah. just that simple and everything has to go right around him. But what did you see? Yeah, there? absolutely. I mean, if you look where he threw both of his touchdowns in the low red, uh, middle, middle of the, the, the red zone there, which you have plays that are just for those certain areas of the field, mm -hmm. John. You know what I mean? Like you have your base downs, guys. And it's like, okay, we're going to run inside zone here with an RPO. You can run that anywhere on the field. 
we get down to the 18 yard line or we get down to the 12 yard line, you have a, you know, you have a run, you have two runs, you have two passes, you probably have a double move. And that play right there was almost like a fake bubble. And then you had, um, and you had Ian kind of stock block fake release. And then he went to the corner on a switch release and it's, and I, and again, it might sound, might sound a little weird, but it was the perfect play call for somebody young to go ahead and go in there and throw that kind of a double move mm-hmm. trick play. You know, it might not look like it was a trick play, but it was a, you know, it was off of something else, you know I mean? A bubble, you fake the bubble, there's the little inside fade off the top, like you mentioned earlier. But I mean, the, the guy just dropped the right in the bucket. Um, you know, those are, those are the plays that you, when you, when you draw them up, you know, you hope that they work out that exact way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, luckily for Temple and for, 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 uh, EJ, it, it did. And as we talk about the next one, you know, as I know you're going to talk about Jordan Smith, it's, it's kind of a similar, similar, uh, as well. It, Adam, this might sound like a simple question, but both of those touchdown passes were in the red zone. Is it harder sometimes as a quarterback to execute in the red zone when you have not that, not that, you know, if you're beyond the 20, that it's easier to make those throws, but when you're in a confined amount of space, is your margin for error shorter there when everything is more compressed? Is the yeah, have an advantage there? Is that an, is that a tougher throw to make there? It is. Um, that's probably like the most ideal spot for you. You know, you get inside the, the eight to six yard line whenever you have, you know, everybody kind of just they call it like a picket fence just right on the goal line, seven guys. You know, that's why you hope when you get down there you can run the football. And, you know, when you get down there, you you got rub routes and pick routes when you get tighter to the to the goal line and then as, as you get even closer, it's like, okay, if there's nine guys in the box and your two receivers are split out, it's like, what are you going to do? You know, So that's when you hope that you have, you know, we used to use Ventel and Roman Deloach and those guys back in the day, we just throw them fade balls. And like yeah. Roman was probably the best guy I've ever, I've ever seen to just make a difficult, making diff- difficult and tough catches one-on-one. So you either have to, again, use the trick plays or the plays off of plays. You truly have to be able to run the football or you have to have a guy on the outside and say, okay, we're going to trust him to run a fade, uh, you know, a quick little stop route, a slant, whatever it is that they try to pack the box. But even if you play video games, John, to the guys that are listening, when you get down to the red zone, mm-hmm. man, it, it's tough. You know what I mean? You're playing mm-hmm. mad and it's like, geez, there's nowhere to throw the football. None of these <laughs> plays are working. We can't run it. And it's just like that, you know, like the great teams score touchdowns in the red zone. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's kind of what it comes down to. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we were lucky enough to do that. And on that second one, that second touchdown pass that went to Jordan Smith, the 17-yard touchdown pass helped give Temple a 28-14 to 14 lead. Now, Jordan Smith was open on the play. Now, he was playing tight end. Again, David Martin Robinson has not played first couple weeks of the season, still like a day-to-day, uh, excuse me, day-to-day, or I guess it's been a week-to-week type of thing. We're not sure at this point if he's going to play Saturday against Rutgers at the link. But Jordan Smith filling in there, getting some reps, and – he was open on the play, but but EJ was pressured on that throw. By that point, Adam Klein was out of the game at right tackle. Now, Adam's another guy. I don't know specifically what his injury is. Stan didn't give uh, uh, exact details on what he's dealing with. He's considered day-to-day. Obviously, that's a tough, tough thing if yeah. he's not playing Saturday. So he was out of the game at that point. So Jim Tuobadegu, a guy that the, that's, you know, the previous staff was high on him. This staff seems high on him, but he's very young. He got beat at right tackle. Uh, but EJ didn't move. He he stayed in there and delivered the throw. Um, what'd you see on that one, Adam? Yeah, same thing. I mean, again, if 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 Klein is banged up and not able to go, you know, you have to throw the young fella in the fire quickly and you know hope that he grows up mid game. You know what I mean? Or you know when that first whistle goes, and you know, and I'm sure Weez and those guys got him being competitive. But again, when you get down to the red zone like that, 
you have double moves. And for my video game guys, they call it like a nod return. So, you know, Jordan runs up six, seven yards, whatever it is, you know, quick little jab step, head nod, like he's going to run a stick route. And then he just, you know, gets up the field vertical and, you know, splits the safeties. And it's a great, great route versus, you know, split safety look too high, or it's a great route versus man to man. And it was, uh, I can't say it was an easy, it was an, it was an easy throw, but when you had someone barreling down on you, it would have been very simple for him to go ahead and try to run outside the pocket and make a play with his feet. But, you know, he stayed in there. You know, it seemed like he trusted his training, even if, you know, a guy got beaten, you know, and he, and he got a lick laid on him pretty good. But, uh, you know, he put the ball where it needed to be. And, again, um, he scored touchdowns in the red zone. You know, when you're a coach, you're like, okay, he's making smart decisions and he's doing what we're teaching him to do every week in practice and every day in practice. That's what's important. You – at one point yourself were a young quarterback. You have coached young quarterbacks. Again, he's got a long way to go. It, it came against Lafayette, but you play who you play, and he is a true freshman. Is it rare to see a true freshman quarterback stay in there in the pocket and do what he did as opposed to doing what you said he could have done, which is to try to dock, run, throw the ball away, or take the sack there? It looked like an impressive yep. thing to stay yeah, it there is. against pressure. It, it, it really is. Um it doesn't matter, you know, you have guys that played a lot of football that if you got a free runner at you and, you know, you know a guy's going to come open and you can anticipate with a little bit of touch, you know, and timing, that's impressive because I'm sure he didn't get a ton of reps at that play during the week. I'm sure he didn't get a ton of reps at that play during camp, um, you know, as they were trying to decide between Quincy and Dewan who was going to be the starter essentially, you know what I mean? Again, me being here and, you, you know, reading your guys' stories and hearing the interviews and stuff, that's what I, you know, what I saw, but – and we don't get those reps and you're able to get in there and uh, make the most of them. And now it's like, okay, EJ's the guy this week. Let's kind of game plan for him and see what his strengths and his weaknesses are and, uh, you know, go from there. What do you see from him? Again, it's a small sample size, but the the easy thing to say would be, okay, he's the he's Kurt Warner's son and he got to, at some point in his life, learn from a Hall of Famer, a guy who has an incredible story like Kurt does, but – I mean, he kind of does early on. Again, it's one game. Looks like a guy who grew up around a, a Hall of Famer, a quarterback, with just some of the small traits so far. Again, I know I keep saying it, it's one game. But what what do you see from him overall and in, in, in his small body of work? Again, so far, so good. Long way to go. But what do you, what do you yeah. see from him overall and some of the other snaps he took? Yeah, I, I hope that, you know, I keep reading Facebook comments and, uh, you know, people on Twitter – I know a lot of people aren't happy with the way DeWan played and, you know, you were hoping that DeWan would be the guy, um, but you, you know, you got a young guy in there who plays, you know, three quarters of football, essentially. It's like, you can't overreact, but at the same time, you have to build up his, um, you know, just build up his energy and his positivity he's bringing to the team. It seemed like the team was kind of rallying around him. Once you get that little glimpse of hope, once you get that little glimpse of, okay, this dude, you know, just took a shot. He popped back up. We scored, you know, the defense has eight sacks and everything kind of starts rolling. I like that. You know, I mean, I'm sure he has some, you know, some true leadership skills developed, um, you know, from his father, like, you know, passed down and just, you know, seeing him do things and how to be a pro. Um, it seems like that's what coach, you know, Drake mentioned a couple of times, the kid's just a, just a professional. We talked, I don't know, two weeks ago about him just traveling to the games and how important that was. And now he's, you know, starting week three. So, um, you know, you love to see a kid that can come in and do his job and not try to do too much. And that's what I'm looking for him, uh, you know, this week, because there's going to be a lot on his plate 
You know what I mean? The environment's going to be a tad different, you know, a better team coming in. So I'm anxious to see how he handles a little bit of that pressure um, with, with the fans that are here, him not being the starter this week, and then a better team coming in that has some big old boys coming to, you know what I mean, put some pressure on him. So. People, I, I, and I get it, Temple fans, a lot of Temple fans, when there's a rebuilding effort, they want to look for um, some sort of past comparison. And a lot of fans have said, okay, cool, this is like when they turned to P.J. Walker several years ago. Now, I'm not comparing EJ to, to uh, EJ to P.J., uh, but, you know, you got one guy who is, who is in the NFL right now and another guy who's, who's trying to get there, but – um, you were you were around PJ a lot. We've had him on this podcast. You were instrumental in his development. What is it like now? And you kind of just touched on this a little bit when you get in and you know, there is that pressure from the outside, like, oh, this guy could potentially be the future. We've seen the ups and downs as you know, if you're a fan, you're saying, I feel like I might know what Dewan Mathis is and isn't. Fan base was excited about him being a former four-star recruit. Things haven't worked out so far. EJ Warner comes in and people say, okay, maybe there's progression here. Now all eyes on you, even though we know that there are all sorts of other facets to the game. What's he facing now? You went through this with PJ. And again, you spent a lot of time around him. You're still close with him. What's that like for a young quarterback now? Um, You hope that uh, things don't change as much as they probably really will. You know what I mean? It's like you hope that he still goes about his business the same way. Um, You hope that he's preparing the same way. Like we talked about earlier, it's like, okay, you have the chance to go in this game, prepare at a high level. I would imagine that he's probably at the facility, you know, on every chance he gets, you know, talking to the OC and trying to figure out, you know, what, what Rutgers does and, you know, their strengths and weaknesses and, you know, what the game plan is on third and two to, you know, third and one to three or third and one and third and four to six and third and seven plus, you know, downs we need to, you know, stay out of. Um, the preparation will probably ramp up a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you can't, I mean, I remember we had quarterbacks that were trying to get in there, you know what I mean? 10, 12 hours a night, just kind of just watching the same stuff. And sometimes you do that, you know, you kind of turn into a zombie a little bit and then, you know, you're not out there playing freely. So there's a little bit of a, you know, you have to kind of work with the kid a little bit like, Hey, come in here. We, you know, we get an hour together with the OC, you know, you get with the O line and go through your calls. Um, the pressure, I mean, truly, there's really no pressure on the kid. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he went out there and performed at a high level last week. Uh, you go out there and you know you got to do the same kind of kind of thing. You know what I mean? But you have to you have to keep that same mindset of you know feeding your playmakers the ball, and you hope that again. Um, you know, we mentioned it. You know, a couple weeks back, John, that you know the coaches allow this kid to go out and play his game, and don't go you know run on first down, you know run on second down, and throw the ball in third, and kind of let them get in all kind of, you know, crazy defenses and unique blitzes and kind of, um, you know, muddle up the, the way he's seeing the defenses and seeing coverages and stuff like that. So I'm anxious to see him. I mean, like I said, when I met, when I was with PJ, you know, we spent a lot of time in there together, you know, coaches were in the staff meetings. I would go in there and watch practice with PJ and go through stuff. So practice tape will be a big deal. Just trying to go in there and you're talking about fundamentals in season aren't, you know, the biggest thing, you know, going, you know, certain footworks and stuff throwing, you know, and maybe the red zone might be different or RPOs, but everything's going to be about, Hey, how, how can we attack Rutgers? How can I play my game? And you know what I mean? How can I kind of just, you know, you know, don't worry about the noise um, that, you know, there's a bigger team coming in and Rutgers and the big 10 and whatnot, and just go out there and, you know, have fun. And another thing I wanted to ask you about, and again, we, we've kind of talked about this before, 
I ask because fans will ask. They look at they look at EJ Warren. He's listed at six feet on Temple's website. I is he truly six feet tall? I don't know. Uh, but you know, of course, it's easy if you're six three, two twenty. You got a super strong arm. The, the physical tools will give you an edge. But you have to bring everything else together. Can he? You know, if he is closer to five five eleven. And again, I want to emphasize he's he's a true freshman. He's got a lot of. I'm not saying he's going to balloon to you know six two or six three but it'll continue to be in the weight room. It'll continue to grow and mature. But when you look at his, his height and weight and his frame, um, can he succeed? I mean, like fans will look at him and say, okay, you know, can he do this? We've seen it in the American Mackenzie Milton more recently. He was 5'11", 190, had a really good season at UCF, 4,000 yards and 37 touchdowns in 2017 before he unfortunately got hurt. Right, right. Um, more recently on a national level, you look at what Stetson Bennett is doing at Georgia. He's 5'11", 190. He can be done. But at his height, what's it like as a quarterback? I mean, you weren't. No, I'm the same size. But you had like, but you had you had a good career. You had you we had you had a career. It was good enough to get you a shot in the NFL. We've talked about this before, but for listeners who haven't heard our podcast before, what are what does he face as someone who's not a lot taller when it comes to like looking at throwing lanes, seeing yeah. seeing guys downfield? Was is it, I've asked you this before? Is it overblown or can be? Yep, it really is. It's it's overblown in my opinion. I mean, you're talking to me. Excuse me. You're talking about PJ Walker. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, now you're talking about EJ. Um, you're talking about. I mean, I can I can go. You're talking about Toddy Santeo, who has like a sure. 250 quarterback rating right now. Yeah, but would love it. Would love to have him back right now. Right. And so I mean, I think, you know, I played in in college, high school, college. I'm probably EJ's size, um, probably his height, and I'm probably was his weight while I played at Temple. Now. Mm-hmm. It sucks when you're running and you know, I mean, you're taking hits or or if a big guy falls on you like I did at Penn State and he separated my shoulder. Yeah. But it seems like the kid, that's what in a weird way, like I knew how to take a hit. Like if I saw mm-hmm. a hit coming, I was getting down or I was finding a way to not. I don't know. It's like you can fall better than others. You know what I mean? When you're playing the quarterback position, like there's times you'll get blindsided or whatnot. And, you know, those ones stink. But, you know, sometimes you could just kind of feel it and kind of get tackled before the big hit really occurs. And I think sure, I'm sure EJ kind of knows how to do that. PJ was one of those guys where he was going to try to run somebody over, gain mm-hmm. the extra yard. Um, I mean, when you're talking about vision and the only time I ever had one issue was maybe like two snaps I had with the Eagles and I dropped back to pass and there was like monstrous left tackles and right tackles and defensive line. Just, I just threw the ball where it was supposed to go and we completed like a corner stop route on third and long and I got crushed. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's been doing this his whole life. You know what I mean? He hasn't, I'm sure he hasn't been the tallest guy. You know, he's been doing it all camp. He did it last week. I mean, you kind of find windows and you anticipate probably a little better than maybe even some of these bigger guys. And I think that's what's key when you're a little shorter playing the quarterback position. Anticipation, your offensive line blocking and kind of opening those holes up so you can have that vision or the block, the back stepping up and, you know, taking on a linebacker and kind of just, there's going to be times where his windows are going to be closed, John, and you know, you're going to have to just anticipate and trust where he's going to go. And um, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, I, th- I think it's overblown. You know, we've done it. I've done it. You know, PJ's done it. Toddy's doing it. And I think EJ will be fine. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we were to take a little bit of a closer look at Rutgers, they're, they're two and oh heading into, uh, into Philly this week to play temple. Greg Shiano's in his third season and his second go around at Rutgers. So uh, the Scarlet Knights had a 22 to 21 come from behind win at Boston college in their opener. And then they routed Wagner, 66 to seven last week. So you can kind of see, you know, Temple eventually beats Lafayette 30 to 14, but, you know, Rutgers is in its third season with Greg and they're kind of 
progressing along and, and doing what they're supposed to do to a team like Wagner and really routing them. So if EJ Warner does start again, we have every reason to think he probably will. He's going to be facing a you know much better team, much better defense. The the interior of Temple's offensive line is you know, already inexperienced with younger guys like uh, guards, excuse me, like Wisdom Quarshi, uh, Bryce Thoman played and, and and started this past Saturday, and that was after Stan Drayton had said, "Hey, I was happy with how James Famine played." As far as I know, and I've asked around on this, James is, I think he's healthy. So must have been something that they saw in practice. And, you know, and, and Chris Wiesahan had said about a month ago at this point, last time we got to talk to him, that, that Bryce was progressing. And when you go back, and again, I'm, I'm going back and watching the game and rewinding things. I'm not seeing the same film the coaches are, but you can see moments where guys are supposed to, they're doing what they're supposed to do and other times where, you know, they're, they're, they're getting beat. And that's another challenge too. you got a young quarterback with that interior of the offensive line and, and a newer center in Rich Rodriguez there we mentioned before, if Adam Klein is day-to-day at this point, if he can't go, it could mean that Jim Tuobadegu is going to get the start at right tackle. Can he block a defensive end like Wesley Bailey? Um, Adam, another question for you, and again, it sounds simple, but you played, you know, you got thrown into the fire against teams, against some really good teams with inexperienced offensive linemen that, that eventually got better. But um, right. what is it like when you – obviously, it would be so simple to say, hey, if you're playing against five studs – maybe your peace of mind is better. What are the adjustments that you make as a quarterback and offensive coordinator when you're playing against an offensive line, when everybody's trying to instill confidence, but is there still something in the back of your head where you're like, I know that I might have to deal with more pressure this week. And that's always got to be in like the internal clock in my head. What's that like in the mind of a quarterback? Yeah, there's definitely some of that. Um, as, as you know, talking about myself, you know, my senior year, I had, you know, the Boyle brothers, Wayne Tribune, Colin Madison, you know, I had Darren Thal, uh, Devin Tyler, you know, I had like three or four inexperienced offensive linemen that were young guys. And it was like, and at the end of the day, they were kind of like our better players and they were big, they were strong, they were tough as heck. And it was like, okay, Adam, these dudes are playing no matter what. And, you know, I mean, you have to continue to build trust. And I would think, you know, you know, I heard, um, I heard uh, Isaac Moore talking about EJ and how, you know, he didn't look like a freshman when he came in the huddle. And that, you know, I'm sure EJ read that and was like, okay, cool. You know, like my guy's got my back. This, you know, Isaac's been there for six years, seven years, however long he's been there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has my back and he sees that, you know, I'm going out there and I'm going to compete at a high level. But then you're, I'm sure EJ again, he's probably looking at percentages of blitzes. Like, hey, you know what I mean? These guys, I get in these third long situations or third and medium, they're going to come at me and give me some different looks. I just have to can trust my training. And it's always going to be in the back of your back of your mind, but you know what I mean. Especially with 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 the guys we have now, you know what I mean. Just continuing to move around offensive linemen with injuries and different positions, but you know what I mean. There's going to be five guys out there blocking the tight end and the back. You know, might be seven, but you have to have full trust on in those guys so you can go out there and locate the football and get the ball into our playmakers' hands. How would you go about you know game planning against Rutgers? One of the things that, and again, we're not touching on every single aspect of, of temples went over Lafayette, but um, something else that happened is like guys like Darvon Hubbard and Ed Sadie did start to pop off a couple of runs and you started to see, okay, this is what Darvon Hubbard could potentially be. We've seen some flashes from Ed Sadie. Again, it get, it will get much tougher against right. an improving Rutgers team. Is it overly simplifying things to say, okay, he, we got to run the ball a little bit more to protect them. But again, that's a challenge with, you know, you have if Adam Klein plays and Isaac Moore plays, 
you have two experienced guys at tackles, but they're only as good as the guys in the interior. Um, how would you go about, would, would, would you, from what you saw again, in a small sample size, are you comfortable having him throw the ball 25 times a game? Or are you going with more like a 50, 50 split of like, let's try to establish the run. A few I, times? Yeah. I mean, you'd love to, you'd love to sit there and say, let's establish the run. You know what I mean? That'd be most ideal. Right. You know, we had, I think you had three guys carry the ball 10 times or more last week with, you know, Hubbard, Sadie and um, Norwood, right. You had three guys carrying it over 10 times, which is cool. And, you know, they all having mm-hmm. uh, solid games. But then again, it's like, okay, how can we start fast and how can we get, you know, that, I guess you could say that little bit of nervousness that anxiety, whatever it might be for, for EJ to get hot. We used to do that with PJ all the time. Like, whether it's just a quick little bubble screen, whether it's a, a hitch route, whether it's a quarterback draw to let him get hit one time. You know, I think the coaching staff kind of knows, I'm sure they know what, you know, EJ needs to tick. You know what I mean? Like, okay, this will get him going in the right direction, whether it's a naked or sprint out, something to get the ball out of his hand. If you watch some of these games with young quarterbacks, you know, we'll sit there and be like, hey, these are their top openers right now. EJ, rank them. And he'll rank them and say, okay, I want this play, you know, on play one. I want this on play two. These are my ranks. And then the coaches will go and rank them and kind of do that math. Um, and then, you know, find out the plan. Um, you want to make the kid as comfortable as possible, um, but that's only going to last so long, John, because, you know, as soon as they get out there, it's 11 on 11. Those coaches will be in the booth. Those coaches will be on the sidelines. And, you know, it's going to be, you know, our guys versus their guys. And, you know, they can only help, help so much. But we can try to put them in good situations. I think you'll still need some some double moves and maybe a trick player or two. But there's ways to, I mean, get Jose the football and, you know what I mean, see which back is hot. See, you know, is it is it inside zone, outside zone? Is it, you know, read zone? Is it, you know, is our play action game going to work? Can we, you know, can we try to attack these corners with our weapons on the outside? I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can go about throwing the game plan, and it'll be interesting to see. Because um, you probably won't get much from that Wagner game. Probably gonna have to go back to the to the to game one um, and see kind of, hey, you know, how did they get attacked? I think they ran the ball forty you know, something times against us. I mean, against uh, BC in mm-hmm. um on week one or whatnot so i mean I, I would imagine that you know Rutgers runs the football a ton you know what i mean and then once you run it and we try to you know stack the box a little bit they're going to try to do some play action stuff so if it were me calling the plays i try to make it as easy as possible for for ej at least get him um a couple easy throws and then after that it's like hey you know we can't hold back and that's the only way i'm sure he would want it you mentioned it again, Temple on on offense. Looking at Rutgers' offense, they're going to be facing some challenges. They do run it really well. They've got some good running backs and Kyle Monagai and Al Shadi Salam. They combined for 127 yards and two touchdowns in the win over Wagner. Um, like you said, I agree with you. You know, again, it sounds like we're piling on Wagner, but they're a struggling FCS team, and Rutgers still had to go out and beat them, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. But you can see some of the depth and firepower that they have on offense. They've, they've got some good receivers and Josh Youngblood, who's a former Temple commit, Aaron Crookshank, who's also dangerous in the return game. Um, now, Rutgers, the interesting thing there is they've they've got some talent at quarterback, but unless I miss something, I think Noah Vedral's still out. Um, so Greg Schiano has two quarterbacks playing time there, Gavin Wimsett, Evan Simon. Wimsett's a former four-star recruit, started last week against Wagner, had some ups and downs. He had 62 yards on six carries as a dual threat runner. And he also uh, was a dual threat quarterback. And he also threw a touchdown pass. We threw a pick. Um, Evan Simon went 10 of 12 passing for 160, 156 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I imagine that, you know, on both sides of it, preparing two quarterbacks is tough. And then preparing for two quarterbacks uh, is tough. And again, I, I, I hear coaches say, 
only so much you you can do. You you watch the film. You 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 have to be ready for both guys. But you know if you're DJ Elliott and you are preparing for two quarterbacks, which isn't a rarity in college football anymore. But right. what are what is he when you're getting a defense ready for two quarterbacks? Is it just as simple as that? It's like you got to you got to know you got to be prepared. You got to know that this guy could come in the game. These are some of the tendencies. If we're if it's this time and place in the game, you got to be ready for. For this guy to come in or is it more is it more detailed more nuanced than that um i think it all just depends um i think if you had more of a um I'm trying to think of some teams like south uh south i said south fed high school imagine that like <laughs> south fed high school i'm training a couple <laughs> quarterbacks there they just beat montour by one uh this past week yeah montour went for a two-point conversion to win it and they they didn't get it um but i remember south florida would you know have two quarterbacks and that yep. you know you're talking about a real runner I mean, like 90% of the time, Quentin Flowers was, you know, running the football. Or if he yeah. wasn't, it was a play action. He's just throwing the ball deep. And then you had a different guy come in sometimes when it was younger, at least. You know, if you're talking about someone like that that can run, then you're talking about, okay, in scout, te- scout team this week, we're going to have probably like a, a backup running back or receiver play and let him run around a little bit, make plays with his feet. And I don't know if Wimsat's like that. Like, I've watched his tape before when, you know, I was at Temple when we were recruiting and saw that he was committed there. The dude can spin it. I mean, he's got some talent. Yeah. You know, he got some true talent, and you know, I, I think he, he's he can throw the football just as well as as Evan. You know, could we recruited Evan Simon as well? Mm-hmm. He's from Central PA, and you know, we didn't end up taking him. Um, but I don't think there's gonna be much of a difference for Coach Elliott. Like whoever's in there, there might be a player too that they're a little more comfortable with. But I don't think it'll be something along those lines where you know you're talking about a guy that's a a, a really threat. who's really a threat running the football. So before we move along to, um, you know, the mailbag and some recruiting stuff, don't want to overlook the fact that Devon Fox blocked three punts uh, against Lafayette. Yeah, it's crazy. We we all know how much the, the program has struggled in making much of anything happen uh, in, in special teams. But you saw how that affected the game, get some national recognition for it. Don't expect Devon Fox to be blocking three punts a week. If he did, he'd probably find some role at the, at the next level uh, in that area. But Again, it sounds like the simplest of questions, but what was it like to to see that and just have them get a jump start there? Because again, you can say all you want. Temple's supposed to beat Lafayette. They're an FCS team. They're they're an FCS program that has struggled, but it's not like Temple could have walked into this game thinking that they were going to cruise by three scores. They needed some spark. They got a couple of sparks, but to get it in that area, what was it like to to see that after a few seasons where it hadn't really been happening? Yeah, that's a big deal. Um, I think for for everybody, um, now it's going to put I can't say fear into the to the minds of the special teams coordinator, the Rutgers, and the future teams, but they're going to have to spend some time this week trying to figure out okay, where is Fox at? Where is how are we going to block him? Are we going to bring you know we're going to go tight punt? We're going to spread it out. Where's eighty eight at? Now they're going to have to spend a little more time than they might have if 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 he didn't block three punts. You know what I mean? So, um, as a fan. You know, looking from the outside in, it was exciting. Um, many times, you know, I remember Sharif Finch and those guys used to block punts. Now we punt. I would usually like I'd stand next to the quarterback. Hey, these are the plays. But no, like when they punted, I would watch. I'm like, I'm gonna watch Sharif Finch go block this punt, or I'm gonna watch another guy go block this punt. And that's kind of how it was. It was like, there's no way they're not gonna they're not gonna block him again. You know, what I mean, they didn't block him twice. He did the up and under, and it's like, it's phenomenal. You know, it's it's great to see him have some success, um, on that unit, and I think he can build off of that. Um, because obviously, like you said, you get some some national recognition, and you kind of have a target on your back now. And 
and those guys are going to have to block you and spend some time doing it. So it's exciting mm-hmm. to see. One of the, before we we close things out with the mailbag here and some some questions specific to what well, we got a couple of questions that are specific to the game and then one that's a a food a Pittsburgh area food question for you that yeah. I will not be able to answer so I'll just throw that one over to you but before we get to the mailbag questions um, wanted to ask you uh, from a recruiting perspective about um, about one of one of Temple's uh, verbal commitments from the 2023 class they have 16 guys verbally committed and one of them. Uh, is Conlon Green from Penn Trafford. He's he's 6'4", 250-pound defensive lineman. He's projected to play, uh, I guess, you know, for now, defensive end. We'll see, you know, things could change when we get there. But um, he, he's not a big stack guy on defense as of now, uh, but he's also playing quarterback uh, for them. Um, I know you're not on the staff there, but you're out in that area. What, what's the scouting report that you've gotten on him so far and what Temple yeah, should be getting? It's, it's amazing. You know, you watch his clips and – I know they had him at camp and that's where they, you know, offered him a scholarship. So they saw all the things he could do live and in person. That's, that's a big deal. But you watch his clips and you're like, it's like 80% playing quarterback. You know what I mean? Every type of throw you can imagine he's making, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. RPOs play action, just, you know what I mean? Just, he gets a solid release. It's amazing. You know, if Temple needs like an emergency quarterback down the line, this dude could totally fill in. Um, Mm -hmm. I would always catch with like, like Dan Archibald, for instance, Yeah, he could, he threw the football better than, some quarterbacks like i mean obviously you got to go through the drops and just but he could spin the heck out of the football huge hands yeah that's kind of what Colin reminds me of like the kid has heavy hands you know he could shock the offensive lineman and get off blocks and pursuits um when he runs and plays on the d-line he plays with great leverage um it's also more sudden than you think like you see him run it's not like a burner like he's not overly out running people but the dude's got some got some wheels and initial burst um and at that size, I mean, he, he's a pretty athletic kid. To do some of the things he's doing, it's impressive. You know, it's like um, he played D-line. He probably played tight end. He could probably play fullback. He could probably, you know, do a bunch of different things um, when he does get on campus. So, I mean, I've, I've heard nothing but, you know, great things about him. Obviously, I'm not training him playing quarterback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I don't coach D-line. So, um, you know, we spoke a couple times about Temple through messages and whatnot. But um, it's exciting time for him. I know he's having – um, a lot of success and I think the temple people will uh, you know I got to talk to a couple guys on the staff there actually and they're pretty happy about him from a from a recruiting perspective and yeah you can you've been on both sides of this and obviously the, the way you came to temple was a little bit more unconventional temple did not get you straight out of high school because you were a highly recruited guy you know obviously you know your story you was supposed to go to Penn State then you ended up coming back uh, to temple after playing some junior college baseball but you know how hard it is to get good players out of out of Pittsburgh, out of that area. It's Penn State, Ohio State. I mean, everybody recruits out there, and nine times out of ten, um, Temple's not a get, not going to get four and five star guys from that area. But um, for them to get to get a kid like this, and then I also wanted to ask you about, you know, we talked talked about him on the last podcast. Two games in the season, Leighton Jordan really looks like he's starting to to come around. And I know that's got to make you feel pretty good too, as somebody who, I mean, you were his lead recruiter, right? Yeah. Myself. And then obviously coach, coach Thacker was uh pretty instrumental in you know, getting Leighton on board. So um, it's, you're right. I mean, when you're talking Western PA, you're talking Pitt, Penn state, West Virginia, Ohio state will dabble, Notre Dame dabbles against the top mm-hmm. guys. And it's hard, you know, you, you think you're in the same state, but it's literally four and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're going to get a kid there, you're going to have to find someone like Conlon, someone like Leighton who has mm-hmm. a skill set and it could be one of those guys that you can develop. And I think this is the time where, where, where Leto has the, 
I think he has the staff's trust. I think he trusts in the staff. I think he trusts in the development and finally says, okay, listen, I've seen the success on some of these guys that, you know, in, in the NFL right now, the guys that I was teammates with, the Jacob Martin, the the ha- Hassan Reddicks, the Sean Bradley, Chappelle, all those guys. It's like, I had the skill set to do this. Just let me go ahead and put my head down and work. And I actually talked to him maybe about a week ago, maybe a little even less than that. And, you know, he just said, hey, these guys really trust me and I trust them. And I'm I'm really happy right now the way things are going. And we all are um, when you're when you're having success. And he just has to continue to, you know, keep playing at a high level. And, you know, the dude has a crazy motor. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's impressive is he can just keep that motor going and, you know, not stop. So it's, it's, ha- I'm happy to see. And I think, and the people in Pittsburgh and Keysport are happy for him as well. Yeah. I mean, it, I've said this on our, uh, the podcast I do for Al Scoop on the Scoop. And it's not like it's, this is sage wisdom. But I mean, two weeks into, into the Stan Drayton era, you would kind of know what they're up against. They're, they're, I almost feel like there are like three groups of guys, like the guys that the new guys that they have coming in, that they recruited guys who look like they belong. And then guys who just don't look like they belong yet. And they're either going to get it or not get it. And, and Leighton Jordan looks like one of the guys when you watch him in these first couple of weeks, it's like, yeah, he's not that he wasn't showing flashes last season of starting to get it, but he really guys like him, Jordan McGee, Darian Varner, they look like, like they belong out there. And it really looks like he's, he's, really starting to come around and looks like a really good fit for, for DJ Elliott's defense. Uh, we'll, we'll close things out with a few mailbag questions here. Again, this first one is all Adam. These, these are coming in from Twitter. The, the Twitter handle here is steel at Steelers crash. Question is Doughboys or when it was open Pascarelli's. So I guess these are two, this two is, pizza spots out there. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep whenever I saw this, this message on Twitter. I just, I've been up ever since trying to make this tough decision. Um, <laughs> so Pascarelli's is like my, is my pastime. Me and my boys used to just dribble the basketball up. I don't know. Sheesh. I'm talking like from 6 p.m. to like 11 p.m. all the way around our neighborhoods. And just, you know, we get a little 16 cut Sicilian pizza. Mm-hmm. And then we would just crush it in my buddy's house and just play basketball and wiffle ball and do all that. I mean, that was our, that's what mm-hmm. we did. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're talking, you know, Doughboys. That's like the new era. You know, they I mean, got this pepperoni and sausage pizza and, you know, a little bit well done. And it's just phenomenal. The guys that went to my home, went to our high school that are, um, you know, we had our DeMichael Brothers Performance Camp and they, uh, you know, got the pizza for us along with another pizza place in the area. They took care of us and they're great guys. So if it, I, I literally can't decide. Like if you said, OK, uh, give me a Chicago style Pascarelli's pizza and then you can give me the Doughboys pepperoni and, and sausage combo. I'd be a happy man the rest of my life. So I can't I can't choose because, you know, it's my pastime and it's my, you know, my current life. And, you know, my wife loves the Doughboys uh, white pizza. Mm-hmm. And those guys take care of us. Um, so I, I'm not going to choose. That's one question probably that I'm not – I just can't decide on, John. I did not do my detailed, detailed research on both these places. Now, is, is this Pascal is a place that, like, like specializes in more of a Sicilian pie, or do they do a little bit of everything? Both a little bit places. of everything. They got Chicago style. They got, you know, breadsticks. They throw, like, 46 breadsticks in the one box. And, I mean, my father would get that, and we just – you know, they shut down. The guy stopped. You know, like he sold his recipe, or it's like going for like over six figures for the recipe. Um, so it's one of those deals where you know, he's like a true Italian. Like, mm-hmm. um, my my basketball coach in high school, and you know, they used to deliver there, and we used to get that every time we held a team under forty points on defense. <laughs> so we'd come in with you know Pascarelli's pizza, probably like every other game because we were that good. But it's impressive. It's an impressive pizza place, and you know, I wish it was still there. But Doughboys to me is is number one in the area now. 
Is there, are there multiple, I, I don't know if this is out by you guys. When I was in elementary school, granted, this is like back in the eighties, I think it still exists. Does Sir Pizza still exist? That, that was not out here. Like in the- not, not near me. I've never seen, I've heard of it. Um, it's gotta be somewhere. You know what I mean? I don't know where it's at. I was but- out wherever I grew up, like Franklin Park. I would have gone to North Alabama, yeah. but like mm-hmm. Sir Pizza, they had like these smaller pieces. And as a kid, but I'm sure it's there. So you're like, I oh, I imagine. eat 10 slices, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember good, good pizza out there. So. Oh, it's like good food, food, uh, question. So thank you Steelers no crash for the, for the question there. Um, these last two here are more specific to, uh, to the team and football. And, uh, the next one comes from the, the Twitter handle is B Mohan, Brian. Um, the question is the offensive line look lost at times against Lafayette. Was it scheme or does the staff need to game plan around talent until recruiting reinforcements arrive? So, I mean, this touches on, you know, a healthy portion of what we were talking about earlier in the podcast here, where the, the offensive line save for the tackles that with Adam Klein and Isaac Moore is young. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's a good question. What, what do you think of this one? Because they have what they have. They're developing what they're developing. Uh, what's your take on this question here? I don't think that they're sitting in the meeting and saying, okay, these are our five O linemen. We can't do this. Take it out of the game plan. We can't do that. Yeah. Take it out of the game plan. We can't do now for sometimes at quarterback position, it's like, okay, we can't throw this drop back pass game because this quarterback doesn't see it or, you know what I mean? The offensive line is not good enough. So there's times when it's like that for, for the quarterback position, but I don't think up front they're saying we can't do this or that. Now, like I said, if there's a favorite run that's, you know, better than the other, or they're going to attack at certain left or right side of the offensive line or, you know, the defensive front, you know, cool. But I can't say that they're going to, you know, game plan around the talent um, that we have on up front. Cause like I said, I mean, you, you mentioned it a bunch. These guys are rotating in, rotating out. Um, you know, I mean, those five guys in there have to just, you know, buckle down and do their job and, you know, move people up front. And that's really, I mean, probably a lot of, you could say it's for a lot of coaches, but Chris Weezyhang, you know him very well. I mean, he talks a lot about cross training guys. I, I know that ideally he wants to have his five or ideally would have 10 guys that you could rely upon and say, Yes, this is my center. These are my guards. I can move this guy here if need be, um, and I'll have to do that. And it's how to do that. He's developed guys that have gone on to the NFL. But in the, the second part of this question, to touch on this again, he's, he's saying until re- recruiting reinforcements arrive, even when recruiting reinforcements arrive, you're talking about a position there where you need, unless, unless you're bringing in, you know, Orlando Pace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. uh, you know uh, like that, you know, Lane Johnson, the best like offensive lineman in the world. These guys, don't, the re- the recruiting reinforcements don't arrive and and play like redshirt juniors, right? So you kind of have to go with what you have to go with, right? Absolutely. Um, you hit it right in the nose because you're rarely going to have a young guy come in and play right away up front. I know we talked about that before. It's it's you know, it's almost like quarterbacks easier to play at the next level. Mm-hmm. initially then O-line. I think O-line is probably the hardest position to play when you get the call. You'll see D-linemen that are freshmen, corners that are freshmen, safeties, you know what I mean, quarterbacks, mm-hmm. running backs. But, you know, you talk about O-linemen, it's like, you know, it's it's rare. So, and if you're talking transfers, like, why did they transfer? You know what I mean? Were they not good enough at that last place? Did it, did it, it just wasn't a fit. Now they come here to change the scenery, you know, change the offenses, and now you have to sit back and say, okay, you know, where can we fit this guy in? And it's never going to be a, you know, a reinforcement where those guys are going to come in and play immediately. And like, like, like you said, I mean, unless those are the, the top guys and they're going to be going to a couple bigger schools right now. Let me ask you just a, a spinoff question here before we close out this last one. 
you were always a guy who, you know, was always described as someone who was a good leader, a good communicator. You got along with pretty much everybody on the team. What do you do as a quarterback to make your offensive lineman feel supported, feel comfortable, grow chemistry there? Is it as simple as just making sure you spend time with them off the field? What What's that relationship like between the quarterback and the offensive line? Yeah, I think, you know, you could, you could try that. Sometimes you could try too hard, you know, if you kind of push the buttons right. too much, but, you know, we would always try to, um, you know, usually the line is a pretty tight knit group. And I know that, you know, we gets those guys together on a, I would think probably like a daily basis to watch the film and same with the quarterbacks, but, you know, you get together with, you know, the quarterbacks in the O line and, you know, there's, I'm sure Boozer's making a, a blitz tape or Boozer's making a, uh, you know, a base down and distance tape. And then, you know, there's a sheet the quarterbacks have a sheet and they got the plays right next to them. And, you know, EJ sit right next to the center and they're going through each call and then they're making the calls up front. The quarterback can see him sit right next to him. And then the quarterback goes through his reads and the progressions. You might have some wide receivers in the back. You know what I mean? Um, off the field, uh, I mean, I, you know, Darren Thaw and I were roommates, so it was a little easier. But, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you don't right. have to be buddies off the field. Um, again, Yank, it's not like it's the NFL where he's, he's going to be buying the meals left and right. Unless, right, right, unless, right. unless, unless Kurt's going to be uh, hooking him up with a deal or two at some steakhouse. <laughs> um, but it's just one of them things where I think the offensive line understands, hey, this is the guy right now. They're going to try to make him feel more comfortable than – EJ will try to make them feel comfortable around him if that makes any sense. Like those yeah. guys are gonna have to take him and say, "Hey, hey, hey, young fella! Like, you know, we got you. Trust us. We trust you. You know, we're going in this game with you. You know, you're running the show, and you know, we're gonna make it happen. And you know, you have to continue to pump him up and build his confidence, and and not be the other way around because, you know, coming from a freshman in his first game starting, you know, he'll 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 try. Like I remember. You know, I tried to, you know, to be that guy, but it's like when I went out there, I was like, oh boy, it's a little different. So I needed some guys mm -hmm. around me to kind of keep me up and motivated and keep me locked in. Last question, a simple one, but a pertinent one to close things out here. The Twitter handle is Temple Fan Al. What does Temple need to do to pull off the upset? And of course, he's talking about Saturday's game, the homecoming game against Rutgers. So against this 2 0 mm -hmm. Rutgers team that, you know, again, they still have a long season ahead, but looks like things are progressing in the direction that Greg Schiano wants them to in his second go around at Rutgers. What do they need to do to pull off the upset Saturday? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think you have to win on first down. If you're, in, if you're in too many second and third and long, John, we're going to be in for a long game. Mm -hmm. You're rarely successful when, when, when you're in those kind of down and distances. Um, Cause that's when they get into their, excuse me, their exotic looks, they're down, their blitzes, their exotic, you know what I mean? Odd fronts and, standing guys up with different numbers you know you're not knowing who a linebacker is who a safety is who a d lineman is just you know i mean it's just people just laying all the way around and just you know coming down on yourself stay out of those down the distances and then you know, i think you had eight sacks last week and you know 15 let me see real quick 15 tackles for loss mm -hmm. if you just cut that in half give me four sacks and nine or ten tackles for losses and i think we'll be in a good spot you know what i mean against a better offensive line i think our guys are fairly hungry i think you know like you said you feel a little bit of success and it might not happen early. It might not happen until the second half. But, you know what I mean? When you have the opportunity to go ahead and get that strip sack or you have the opportunity to knock that ball out, you got to get it done. And I think, you know, those those things will be key, just two small keys where, you know, will help us um, leave, their, leave the link with the W. Sounds good. So we will be back next week with another episode to talk about what happened uh, against Rutgers and then preview the next game. Um, against UMass. So um, thanks to Adam for joining me again. Thank you to all of you who submitted mailbag questions. We'll keep uh, answering them as you guys send them in and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.